Welcome to the Next Steps Bible Reading Podcast. I'm Greg Whiting, reading from the One Year Chronological Bible, and today's reading is from March 5th. The Water of Purification, Numbers 19, 1-22. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a red heifer without defect or blemish, and that has never been under a yoke. Give it to Eliezer the priest. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Then Eliezer the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of meeting. While he watches, the heifer is to be burned, its hide, flesh, blood, and intestines. The priest is to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool and throw them into the burning heifer. Onto the burning heifer. After that, the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. He may then come into the camp, but he will be ceremonially unclean till evening. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water, and he too will be unclean till evening. A man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and put them in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp. They are to be kept by the Israelite community for use in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes, and he too will be unclean till evening. This will be a lasting ordinance both for the Israelites and for the foreigners residing among them. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day, and on the seventh day, then they will be clean. But if they do not purify themselves on the third and seventh days, they will not be clean. If they fail to purify themselves after touching a human corpse, they defile the Lord's tabernacle. They must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not yet been sprinkled on them, they are unclean. Their uncleanness remains on them. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days, and every open container without a lid fastened on it will be unclean. Anyone out in the open who touches someone who has been killed with a sword or someone who has died a natural death or anyone who touches a human bone or a grave will be unclean for seven days. For the unclean person put some ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water and sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who were there. He must also sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or anyone who has been killed or anyone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle those who are unclean on the third and seventh days and on the seventh day he is to purify them. Those who are being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and that evening they will be clean. But if those who are unclean do not purify themselves, they must cut off from the community because they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on them, and they are unclean. This is a lasting ordinance for them. The man who sprinkles the water of cleansing must also wash his clothes, and anyone who touches the water of cleansing will be unclean till evening. Anything that is unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. With all of these rules and regulations and details of the clean and unclean and what must be done on certain days and the sprinkling of these things and that, um, why do our children still complain about having to make their bed, huh? Sorry, just a, uh, a thought that gets me off track here. All right, Moses strikes the rock, Numbers 20, 1 to 13. In the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There, Miriam died and was buried. Now, there was no water for the community. 
And the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. Here we go again. They quarreled with Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. Okay, so here you have the grumbling again. Uh, Moses and Aaron go and they, they go to pray before God and God is going to deliver. He says, speak to the rock and it will bring forth water. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, <laughs> must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. I don't want to just glaze over this. Wow, what just happened? The people complained. All right, we've seen that before. Moses and Aaron do what they're supposed to do. God says, okay, we're going to give them water. I want you to speak to the rock. Different than what happened before, where he told him to strike the rock. He told him to speak to it. Moses strikes it twice. Water does come out. God provides. And then immediately in the text, God says, you guys, you guys are not going to go to the promised land. You're not going to bring them into that community because you disobeyed me. You did not trust me enough to honor me as holy. Oh, wow. Just like that. I'll, I'll come back to that at the end. Edom refuses Israel passage, Numbers 20, 14 to 21. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom saying, this is what your brother Israel says. You know about all the hardships that have come on us. Our ancestors went down into Egypt and we lived there many years. The Egyptians mistreated us and our ancestors, but when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now we are here at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your country. We will not go through any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway and not turn to the right or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom answered, you may not pass through here. If you try, we will march out and attack you with the sword. The Israelites replied, we will go along the main road, and if we or our livestock drink any of your water, we will pay for it. We only want to pass through on foot, nothing else. Again they answered, You may not pass through. Then Edom came out against them with a large and powerful army. Since Edom refused to let them go through their territory, Israel turned away from them. The Death of Aaron, Numbers 20, 22-29 The whole Israelite community set out from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor, at Mount Hor, near the border of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. 
He will not enter the land I give the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Get Aaron and his son Eliezer and take them up Mount Hor. Remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer for Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. They went up Mount Hor in the sight of the whole community. Moses removed Aaron's garments and put them on his son Eliezer. And Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain, and then the whole community learned that Aaron had died, and all the Israelites mourned for him thirty days. Victory over the Canaanites, Numbers 21, 1-3 When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites victory. Oh, gave the Canaanites over to them. Yeah, that that'd be a little different, wouldn't it? Give the Canaanites victory? Not this time. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Horma. The bronze snake, Numbers twenty-one four to nine. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Oh yeah, you think? Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. That's a very significant story, even for the future. Uh, I'll touch on that in a moment. But you have the same thing here that has happened often now. They're complaining. They're groaning. Why'd you bring us out into the wilderness to die? And uh, God disciplines them for that. Israel's journey to Moab, Numbers 21, 10 to 20. The Israelites moved on and camped at Oboth. Then they set out from Oboth and camped in Ai-Abarim, in the wilderness that faces Moab toward the sunrise. From there, they moved on and camped in the Zerid Valley. They set out from there and camped alongside the Arnon, which is in the wilderness extending into Amorite territory. The Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. That is why the book of the wars of the Lord says, Zahab in Sufa and the ravines, the Arnon and the slopes of the ravines that lead to the settlement of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. From there, they continued on to Beer, the well where the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank, the nobles with scepters and staffs. Then they went from the wilderness to Matanah, from Matanah to Nehalil, from Nehalil to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley in Moab, where the top of Pisgah overlooks the wasteland. Victory over Sihon and Og, Numbers 21, 21 to 35. Israel sent messengers to say to Sihon, king of the Amorites, let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside into any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. 
But Sion would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. When he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Israel, however, put him to the sword and took over his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, but only as far as the Ammonites because their border was fortified. Israel captured all the cities of the Amorites and occupied them, including Heshbon and all its surrounding settlements. Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. That is why the poets say, Come to Heshbon and let it be rebuilt. Let Sihon's city be restored. Fire went out from Heshbon, a blaze from the city of Sihon. It consumed Ar of Moab, the citizens of Arnon's heights. Woe to you, Moab! You are destroyed, people of Shemash. He has given up the sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. But we have overthrown them. Heshbon's dominion has been destroyed all the way to Dibon. We have demolished them as far as Nopha, which extends to Medeba. So Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. After Moses had sent spies to Jazer, the Israelites captured its surrounding settlements and drove out the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, and his whole army marched out to meet them in battle at Edri. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands along with the whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So they struck him down together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors, and they took possession of his land. So here near the end, you've got some other kings and nations saying, hey, you cannot pass through. And then God saying, all right, then I'm going to destroy you. And he gives Israel victory and gives Israel their land. That's the end of the reading for March 5th. Well, there is, there is a ton here that could be referred to. Um, two things that, that I want to consider. Uh, one is the fact that Moses strikes the rock. And, you know, I guess if it were me, I would think, well, that was a mistake. Or I would think, hey, I struck, stroke, struck at the rock before uh, and it was okay. But instead of doing the specifics of speaking to it, I struck it and now I can't go to the promised land. And now Aaron also can't go and he dies. But Moses and Aaron don't speak back to the Lord on this. Uh, God said the right thing and decided this is what's going to happen. He, he didn't always do it this way. But he said, listen, you've got to set aside as holy. You've got to do everything I ask you to do in every specific. And because of this, I've chosen, you're not going to lead them all the way to, into the promised land. That's that's God being God. <laughs> and... Uh, us not having control over the consequences of our sins. The other passage that really sticks out to me personally is the bronze snake because it has such significance that uh, their disobedience, the snakes bite them, some die, but God makes a provision, says Moses put up this bronze snake and if they look at it, they will live. And of course, Jesus um, refers to this story when he talks to Nicodemus in John 3 and he refers to himself. So there's a sense in which, although they didn't know it then, this story looks ahead to the one and only 
who would not just save them from a snake bite, but could save them eternally if they look to Jesus in faith. Father, I want to thank you for your word today. Father, I I thank you that typically you don't do what you did back then where you just take people's lives immediately for disobeying, where these kinds of consequences come so quickly and often. But Lord, I know there are consequences for my sin and may I be quick to ask forgiveness and I rest on your mercy. Whatever you do is right. And Father, I want to thank you for the story of the bronze serpent because it is a reminder to me that eventually it wasn't about the sacrificial system and being clean and unclean. There was one sacrifice of your son. And because I looked on him in faith, I have eternal healing and eternal life. And I want to live in that victory today. In Jesus' name, amen.